after such an introduction, I probably got to talk like two hours now. <laughs> Luckily, this place closes at uh, 7.30, so we've got to be out. So. Um, so, of course, the theme today is celebrating 70 years. Now, um, are we really celebrating what happened 70 years ago and uh, it's no longer uh, here? Or, or is, is this a continuous uh, celebration? a uh, commemoration of 70 years of the Rebbe's working, which continued to go on on a regular basis, on a day-to-day basis, so that every year, not only does it continue, but it actually gets stronger and with more vigor, and the Rebbe's uh, accomplishments and the Rebbe's uh, impact on the entire world, on his Hasidim, is actually gaining momentum. So... Um, you know, I have this book here that we were going to speak at the library. We're going to do a book a review. Um, it's called Dirt Turning Judaism Outward. This is a uh, biography of the Rebbe. Uh, and it's, the author is uh, Chaim Miller. And it has uh, more than 500 pages. So it's quite a task to give a uh, review in a short while. So I'm not going to just going to review the whole book. I'm just going to give some of the information uh, that I learned from there, which is actually was new to me, myself. Uh, the book is called Turning Judaism Outward. And if you notice, the question is, um, this seems to be the title for the Rebbe, that the Rebbe took Judaism and it turned it outwards, as if to say that before the Rebbe, Judaism was inward. It was something which affected the inside. And somehow the Rebbe came and he turned Judaism also to the outside, turning Judaism outward. Now, I, as mentioned, was born in 1956. The Rebbe uh, became the seventh Lubavitcher Rebbe in 1950 or 51. The, actually, the formal acceptance of leadership took place in 1951, but we count as soon as the previous Rebbe passed on, while it took a year to sort of figure it out, openly, officially, but we count it starting from 1950, so therefore this year marks 70 years from the Rebbe's leadership. So I was born six years into the Rebbe's leadership, and as I knew the Rebbe, the Rebbe was a holy, a master, a Hasidic leader. The Rebbe was the follower in a dynasty of Rebbes. The Rebbe was the seventh Rebbe. To me, the Rebbe wasn't outward. The Rebbe, to me, and to all of us that were standing and listening and getting our inspirations, our learning, our guidance from the Rebbe, the Rebbe to us was inward. He was our Rebbe. He was our teacher. He was our inspiration. He cared about us. He took care. We shared our problems with him. We shared our spiritual, our physical. We got his blessings. We got his guidance. He was there. He was our mentor. He was everything that we needed for ourselves. We didn't relate to him, to the Rebbe, as 
outward. To us, the Rebbe was inward. He was our Rebbe. Matter of fact, when the Rebbe became the Rebbe in the very beginning, the Rebbe stated in his very opening statement, he says, when people were begging the Rebbe to become the Rebbe, and there was some sort of delay. Delay was, as you know, there was another older son-in-law, but the Hasidim wanted the Rebbe. So there was a little bit of a delay and when the Rebbe accepted after the people insisted and bombarded the Rebbe with requests that he should become the Rebbe, the Rebbe reluctantly agreed. What did the Rebbe say when he agreed to become Rebbe? The Rebbe said, I don't want you to think that I'm going to be there substituting for what you need to do. The Rebbe said, each and every person has to continue to do the instructions that the previous, my father-in-law, the Rebbe's father-in-law, my predecessor has requested, has given you, that's your obligation. I will help you, but I am not going to take away your obligations. Don't look at me to sort of say to yourself, I can go back, I can sit, as the Rebbe said, I'll sit under my vine, I'll sit under my fig tree, I'm going to sit and relax. No, 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 the Rebbe says, I'm not going to do your work. I'll help you, but you got to do the work yourself. So the Rebbe's was demanding, the Rebbe was demanding that we pray properly, that we study properly, we increase in our love of Hashem, we daven properly, we give tzedakah, we, everything the Rebbe was demanding from us and guiding us, inspiring us to do Yiddishkeit in the highest of levels. For us, it was our Rebbe. It's almost like we say, we say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, God is our God. So what? God is only our God? But God is also the God of the whole world. Why do we say Elokeinu? We know that the Jewish people have a special place in Hashem's world. He is our God. Hashem designated us. He rests His divine amongst the Jewish people. We felt lucky that our relationship to the Rebbe was a very personal, intimate, and a very close relationship of a chassid to a Rebbe. Now, here we come, the Rebbe was also, he says, turning Judaism outward. He was going to the outside. This, the Rebbe's, turning Judaism on the outside come on the expense of Judaism, of the Hasidim on the inside. We don't have a title like this, turning Judaism outside, not even on the previous Rebbe, not on the, uh, the Rebbe's before him. All of the Rebbe's were majorly involved in spreading as the Baal Shem Tov's saying, Mashiach told them that you have to spread your wellspring. 
but nobody actually turned Judaism outside. So I was thinking, you know, you see something interesting. When the tablets, when Moshe Rabbeinu brought the tablets, over there it says that the tablets were luchos kesuvim the way the tablets were written, so they were through the tablets, they were engraved through and through, but guess what? If it said, So when you read it from this side of the tablets, you saw, But if you read from the other side of the tablets, one would imagine that for the outside, it would be like a mirror. You would see the back of Anoichi Hashem Alekecha. It's not the same. But the great miracle of the tablets were that Mizeu Mizeheim Kisuvim, that it was from both sides. Anoichi Hashem Alekecha appeared on this side, the way it's written. And when you looked on the back side, in the engraved back side, it also read exactly the same way. How is that possible? It says, They were godly. These were godly writings. And therefore, it wasn't a conflict. It wasn't a contradiction. You can read it this way, and you can read it the other way. The Rebbe's ability of turning Judaism outward did not take away one iota from the Rebbe's Judaism inward. The Rebbe was completely and truly faithful with even more energy to all of the teaching of his predecessors, especially the Rebbe's total subjugation and devotion to his father-in-law, the previous Rebbe, was unmatched, unparalleled. We don't find it anywhere how devoted the Rebbe was. But this concept, the Rebbe's godly ability to be both, to be a Hasidic master, a follower of the Rebbe's, to teach Hasidus, to teach Nigla on the highest of levels, to teach us to be close to Hashem, to love and fear Hashem, to do mitzvahs, to be involved and inspired of Yiddishkeit. And at the same time, the Rebbe was Melech HaOlam. He was also a leader for Klal Yisrael. Even for those who didn't revere the Rebbe as their Rebbe, they also were able to look up to the Rebbe's holiness. There is a story once told that a non-Chabad Chosid came to the Rebbe. The Rebbe would distribute lekach, honey cake, before the holiday, before Rosh Hashanah, before Yom Kippur, to wish the people a sweet year. So one time this non-Lebavitch Chosid, his Rebbe was not available, he wanted to get a piece of lekha from a Rebbe. So he figured, a Rebbe, let's go to the Lubavitcher Rebbe. So he goes to the Lubavitcher Rebbe to get a piece of lekha. To his surprise, there's a line over there. And those who remember, and of course I remember that, 
there used to be a stretching line, a long line along the parkway, always around Brooklyn Avenue. Stretch out of the line, very, you know, big block. Everybody going by, the Rebbe wishing you a shana, toiva mesuka, a good and a sweet year. So this guy comes into the line, and in front of this guy, as he's standing, he sees this hippie with long hair, with rings and tattoos all over his body, and so this uh, Satmer, it was a Satmer Chosid, he asks the, the hippie in front of him, he says, excuse me, he says, what are you doing here? He says, I'm going to my Rebbe to get a New Year's blessing. He says, your Rebbe? <laughs> he says, if he's your Rebbe, how could he be my Rebbe? <laughs> but this doesn't, here we're talking about a Chosid with a long fur hat and with long payas. And this guy looks like out of, who knows, you know. <laughs> I don't want to insult anybody. So, uh, this was the point. It was from both sides. While the Rebbe earned the greatest respect and reverence by those Hasidim that were inspired by the Rebbe, at the same time, the Rebbe was able to be the Rebbe Mishnei Evereihem. It was from both sides. So, this was something unique about the Rebbe. I was thinking, we're reading the book, the Rebbe's history, maybe we get an understanding how the Rebbe how come the Rebbe was able to be different? And why was the Rebbe different? Of course, these are things of mysteries of the world. It's not our place to probe them. But maybe we can sort of dwell a little bit and try to find out. But you see something very obvious that comes to mind right away. Something that comes to mind right away is the Rebbe had a little bit of a different start than all the other Rebbes. We're going to concentrate a little bit, talk a little bit about the Rebbe's introduction to becoming the seventh Lubavitch Rebbe. But all the Rebbe's that we had, starting from the Baal Shem Tov and the Magid, but especially when we talk about the Chabad Rebbe's, they were all groomed, they were all destined, they were all in the family of the Rebbe's. So it went on. Even if we talk about the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, which was not a son, he was a son-in-law of the Mittler, the second Lubavitcher Rebbe, but his mother was the daughter of the Alter Rebbe, and the Alter Rebbe gave him special attention. He was groomed also from the beginning to be in the royal family, in the royal family, in the Rebbe's family. They grew up part and parcel, their whole education, their whole being was part Rebbe. They were all Rebbe. Not so with the Rebbe. The Rebbe never was raised. And as we're going to see, the Rebbe had no expectation or any desire, it seems, to take any public role. The Rebbe wanted to earn a living from a work that he would do, and 
the Rebbe was a very introverted person. He shed the limelight. He didn't want to show what he knew. He was very discreet. He was very modest. He did not in any way want to stand out. That was totally against the Rebbe's nature. So, let's talk briefly. I want to go through briefly, if we can, because I only have about 15 minutes left, or 20 minutes left. So I want to go through briefly some episodes and see how far we can get. So first, the Rebbe was born, of course, in 1902. And relatively speaking, we have to say that Hashem blessed our generation that gave the Rebbe a long life physically with us and even a longer life after life because the Rebbe lives on. I checked in the dictionary, what does it mean lives on? And the dictionary writes more or less is when the person's teachings, inspiration, his guidance keeps on after their passing, that means that the Rebbe lives on. So we were fortunate. The Rebbe was born in 1902 until 1994, which makes 92 years that we were, the Rebbe was in this physical world. And we know the Rebbe did not have an easy life. I want to go through a few things. We all know that the Rebbe was not blessed with physical children. And we know that that was something which was very, very difficult for the Rebbe and the Rebetzin. Especially, I'm not sure if I'll get time, after the passing of the Rebetzin, that was really the Rebbe's only time and place where the Rebbe felt comfortable, as you can say. The Rebbe, that was the Rebbe's home. And when the passing of the Rebetzin in 1988, that was actually something that was taken away from him. And people said that from that point on, the Rebbe wasn't the same. But we were starting, we were jumping ahead of ourselves. The Rebbe's childhood was filled in those days in 1902 to 1922. There were pogroms, there were blood libels, there were World War I, there was typhus, there was a lot, a lot of trouble. And uh, not only was there trouble on the physical level, the Jewish people were in trouble on the spiritual level. The Enlightenment movement, the Haskalah, and the Zionist movements, they made a lot of inroads in the Hasidic Orthodox religious family. The Rebbe's relatives, their closest relatives, his mother's sister and children moved to the city with the Rebbe. They were totally caught up in the other side. Even the Rebbe's immediate family, some of the Rebbe's brothers, they were not as devout as the Rebbe. The Rebbe's the time was a challenging time to stay strong, to stay committed, because you had on one side, you had the physical impossible difficulties, and on the other hand, you had the spiritual draw to draw the youth, the interest of the various is, uh, Jewish writers, 
the Achad Ha'am, the various different publishers who were very, very attractive to the youth, the language, the philosophy, the approach. It was a very, very dangerous time. Interesting, some people don't know, that at the age of 16, the Rebbe's parents hired an English tutor for the Rebbe for secular study. I called it an English tutor, but it was a secular teacher for secular studies. Uh, the Rebbe showed a tremendous interest in science, as we'll see later on, in uh, astronomy and in science and various different uh, studies. And his parents gave him that education. Anyways, the Rebbe grew up, and most of the time he spent, he had a teacher for a little bit of time, but the Rebbe outgrew his teachers. And one of the interesting phenomena that I just am always marveled at, besides, I got to tell you, I study a lot of the Rebbe's teaching. I don't fail every time to stand in awe of the Rebbe's insight, brilliance, how he's able to see things that we don't see, how he's able to come up with ideas there. They just blow me away every single time over and over again. Not that I'm the biggest expert, but even somebody like myself, I, I just stand there in awe every time. But uh, the Rebbe, what, what, what blows my mind really is, you know, it says in the Pirkei Ovis, one of the things that helps a person study Torah is dibuk chaverim. Dibuk chaverim means to learn with a partner, you know, a study partner. If you go to yeshivas, the most uh, accepted way of studying is you learn with a partner. What happens you learn with a partner? There's a give and take. You give out an idea, they bounce, you bounce off an idea of someone. Actually, a teacher even, when he gives a class, it says, once he is the class and then he's asked by the students, he comes to clarification, his own mind. So really, if you have somebody to bounce it off, whether it's students, whether it's chaverim, uh, it enhances your ability and the depth what you can get. The Rebbe never started with a partner. <laughs> How the Rebbe will come up with the deepest insights without bouncing it off, without asking someone, just on his own, you know, bouncing it off himself, and coming up with the resolutions every time. But that's what the Rebbe did. The Rebbe did, he spent his first 20 years without even a teacher, because he outgrew, they hired a teacher, till about the age of 11. Once the Rebbe hit the age of 11, the Rebbe <laughs> went beyond the teacher's. And uh, there was nobody to teach the Rebbe at that time. But that's what the Rebbe's interest was. The Rebbe studied. So now, we'll move on. The Rebbe was introduced to the previous Rebbe. The Rebbe never before, in 1923, was the first. The Rebbe was already 20, what was he, 1923? He was 21 years old. The Rebbe was 21 years old. He first met the Lubavitcher Rebbe. The Rebbe asked. Now, of course, his own father was a master, a genius, a Kabbalist. He was uh, tremendous, accepted. And not only that, but they did 
tremendous work for the jury at that time, and you know, at the end, unfortunately, he was also arrested for his activities in Yiddishkeit, and he spent five years in uh, exile in Chiali, and then eventually, as soon as he was the five years over, unfortunately, he passed away. But the Rebbe grew up in a very scholarly, righteous, holy uh, home, but here is the first time that he comes in contact with the previous Rab- Rebbe, Rebbe Rayatz, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchok, the previous Rebbe. And the reason for that encounter is, yet the Rebbe Rashab suggested that the middle daughter of the previous Rebbe, he had three daughters, Chana and Chayamushka and Shena. Those were his three daughters. So the middle one, Chayamushka, they suggested, the Rebbe Rashab had suggested it for the middle daughter, Rebbe Leviks, and he was a family member, of course, because the Rebbe was also directly from the Tzemach Tzedek, Sholem, the oldest son of the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, even though he wasn't a Rebbe, but the Rebbe was Ben Achar Ben, came uh, directly near. So it was still in the family. That's why the Rebbe's name was Schneerson as well, as the Rebbe's in Chayamushka's name was Schneerson. So um, the Rebbe, the Rebbe met the previous Rebbe, and apparently it was decided that the Rebbe was going to marry uh, the uh, second daughter, but the marriage, this was in 1921, and then it went on for a little bit, I'm not sure if it was, it looked like the first time from what it says in the book, that the first time the visit didn't hit it really off, the Rebbe, the first time, but shortly thereafter, in a letter of the previous Rebbe to his daughter, Chayamushka, oh, he said the second time, which was about a half a year later when he came to visit again, oh, this time the visit was so perfect and so beautiful, we spent Shabbos together, we talked for hours, and it was everything turned out so great and beautiful, so there is a sort of an understanding, maybe the first time it didn't go as well as it was like the first date, you know, <laughs> you're not sure, but this is the first date with his father-in-law, you know, but, but anyways, uh, seeing if the Rebbe was going to be, but like I mentioned earlier, uh, it was sort of a, I don't want to say a love at first sight, but the Rebbe's love for his father-in-law is unmatched, and not sure at what point that happened, but at some point the Rebbe connected everything that he had, all of his talents and all of his abilities, the Rebbe devoted everything he had to the father-in-law, to to the previous Rebbe, his father-in-law. These were very, extremely difficult times. You know, the Rebbe Rashab, the father of the previous Rebbe, passed away in 1920. And the years uh, after 1917, when the revolution took place, was a very, very difficult time for the people over there, especially for the Jewish people, especially for the Hasidim. The Rebbe ended up in 1924 to 1926, the Rebbe actually ended up moving to the city of Leningrad, which means uh, 
After the World War started, they had they were forced, as mentioned earlier, to move from Lubavitch to the city of Rostov. But then, uh, at this point in the life of the Rebbe, they had to leave Rostov, and the Rebbe settled in Petersburg, which was Leningrad, Petersburg. So now, uh, the Rebbe moved to that community over there to be close to his father-in-law. And of course, the wedding had to be pushed off a little bit. The means weren't there. The situation wasn't there. It wasn't ripe for a wedding. Now, there was something what happened, maybe a big change, and it was a little bit hinted before. While all the Rebbe's lived in little shtetls, this was the first time that they went out into the big city, into Leningrad. That was a huge, big city. It's almost like Yosef Hatzadik. You know, all of his brothers were living in Canaan, in Erez Goshen. They were living next to their father. They were shepherds. They didn't have to deal with the big hoo-ha, with all the noise of the big city and the tumult and the various different uh, challenges of the big city. But Yosef Hatzadik, that's why he's the Tzadik, that he can be in this uh, place, of, of mud and dirt and yet remain the tzaddik, be in Mitzrayim, be in charge, be there and still be Yosef tzaddik. And the Rebbe at that time uh, met with some of the great rabbis. One of the great rabbis is Rabbi Zevin, who we know, the author of the Encyclopedia Talmudis. He was a Later on, one of the big Rebbe's Hasidim, and he showered praise on the Rebbe's Haggadah, for example. We're coming up to the Haggadah soon. He says the Rebbe's Haggadah, he says he, he's afraid to use that term, but the Rebbe's Haggadah can be described as the most scientific, halachic uh, Haggadah, precise Haggadah that is available today. But, anyways, he was a great Rebbe. The Rebbe also met. Now, various different rabbis, and the Rebbe corresponded, started with the genius Rabbi Yosef Rozid, known as the Ragachover Goen. Even in the days of Poland and Europe and before at that time, when we had some great masters of Torah and knowledge, they were uh, a lot. There was uh, people that knew all the Talmud and knew all the commentators. Still, Rabbi Rosen, Rabbi Yosef Rosen, was considered amongst the genius above all the geniuses. He was like, and the Rebbe corresponds, the Rebbe as a young 20-year-old, a 20-something-year-old, this response and gets answers back and forth. And you look, the, they didn't really write out. They just wrote notes. Uh, look there, look there, look there. And then you would have references through the entire Rambam Talmud, Jerusalem Talmud, commentators. They, and the Rebbe kept up. <laughs> uh, so, anyways... At that time, you know, as the divine would have it, the Rebbe's and also the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, advised people not to move to the United States of America. It was considered if you move to America, then you're giving up your religion. Because when you came to America, people couldn't keep Shabbos, people couldn't uh, do the mitzvahs. It was considered to be 
leaving your religion if you move to America. So the Rebbe advised people not to move to America. There was a Rabbi Jacobson, Rabbi Yisrael Jacobson. I had the good fortune to see him for many years as I was growing up. He used to have a class in Talmud, which my father participated every Matzah Shabbos. He had a uh, a look of an angel with a real white, long, long beard with uh, a face, you know, angelic. He was like, uh, you know, like a really holy, holy tzaddik. He would give the shir for many, many years. But this Rabbi Jacobson was sort of uh, hesitant to ask the Rebbe if he could move because when they came to Leningrad, they saw how poor the Rebbe was over there. They figured they got to go out and raise and get some money for the Rebbe to sustain them, to survival. There was no chairs. There was nowhere to sit. There was, it was just very, very destitute. It was very, very difficult. So out of, just out of pity for the Rebbe, he wanted to go and improve the life of the Rebbe and the Hasidim over there. And to his surprise, the Rebbe agreed for him to live to leave to the United States. So Rabbi Jacobson, Rabbi Yisrael Jacobson, was actually instrumental some years later, in 15 years later, in 1940, when the, uh, 1939, when the war broke out, he was instrumental in helping bring the previous Rebbe with the whole family, save them from Nazi Germany and from uh, Poland, and bring them safely to the United States. So that was that at that time in 1925. Let's move on a little bit quicker over here. At some point in 1925, the Rebbe Tzalchana, that's the mother of the Rebbe, she traveled to Leningrad, and she had some negotiations about the Shidduch with the, with the previous Rebbe. Now, Nobody really knows what they discussed over there. There's no, uh, there's no record of what took place at that time. So people suspect. Uh, I have my own suspicion. I'm going to say to you what I suspect that they discussed over there. I don't know at all. Some people said, suggested, maybe they discussed that the Rebbe should become the next Rebbe. To me, it's unlikely because I don't think the Rebbe expected that. I, I don't like that. I would venture to guess uh, again, that's only a purely a speculative guess, and you know, nobody can contradict this because we don't know one way or the other. Because we see, as soon as the Rebbe uh, got out of Russia and moved to, uh, they moved to Riga, uh, to Latvia, uh, the Rebbe immediately went to Berlin, and the Rebbe enrolled in college in the university. I suspect that maybe she said that. The uh, match can take place on the condition <laughs> that the Rebbe will be allowed to pursue his, uh, his studies. I don't know. That's just a, 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 a presumptuous <laughs> speculation on my part. But in any event, uh, now it was 1927. 1927. I only got about five minutes left, so whatever I can cram in, and then we'll have to make another meeting if those are interested. Or you can read a lot of it, you can read in the book. In 1927, there was a Purim Fabrengen, which was unusual. At that point, the Rebbe openly spoke against the KGB and the NKVD, the Gepa'u, as it was known over there, that's the secret police. And I believe that at that time, Putin may have been in charge of it. No, I don't know. <laughs> but 
I know at some point. Uh, but they spoke that Rebbe, unusual, and they knew that at every Hasidic gathering there were spies that are going to report. And every time you were careful, but this time the Rebbe let it all out of the bag. The Rebbe was crying and he was screaming and he was saying things that everybody was just shivering. They called the Rebbe's mother to call, come in, calm him down so that the Rebbe wouldn't say what he's not supposed to. Anyways, shortly thereafter, it took a little bit, a few months later, the Rebbe was arrested. And of course, the story is he was originally given the death sentence, and then, thanks to Hashem, it was exchanged for originally to go into exile, into Kastrama, and then eventually he was let free back into Leningrad, and the Rebbe was also instrumental at that time because the worst thing would be they would find the papers with all the monies and the, the correspondences about the yeshiva. So as the Rebbe was taking his bride, they were going for a stroll, it says he was escorting his kala, his bride-to-be, or she was his, his bride at the time, and as the Rebbe was escorting and they saw all the lights open at late night, they realized something was going on. So the Rebbe quickly ran to Lieberman's house who had all the correspondence because they made sure in anticipation that something might come so they shouldn't have any papers. But they knew that after there they would come to Lieberman. He put up a fire and he destroyed all the correspondence, all the documentation. So by the time they came, the Rebbe was heavily involved in trying to, uh, in saving the previous Rebbe's life. Uh, From there and then later on. Then... As you know, the Rebbe left Russia. Uh, they gave the Rebbe permission, even for his son-in-law. And when they asked, well, what do you got to take a son-in-law from here? You can get a son-in-law over there. Uh, he said he's not a son-in-law yet. He was only a son-in-law-to-be. He's just a chatan. He's only a groom. He's not yet. So he said, you'll get a new groom over there. He says, no, no, no. A groom like the Rebbe is not going to get anywhere. So he says he's coming with us. So the Rebbe got permission. But the previous Rebbe actually left about a week before the Rebbe left. Okay, so the Rebbe, shortly after they went out from Russia, the Rebbe moved to Berlin to pursue his uh, general studies. Now here's an interesting thing. The Rebbe didn't have to get into college, to get into university. He needed some papers that he, he went through elementary school. So his his uncle wrote him, his uncle was in charge of the schooling over there, wrote the paper that he, he, he had this private tutor that we spoke before, he homeschooled, and that he had, that he passed all the grades with success, and eh, that didn't work, they needed some, they, they didn't accept. So what is the Rebbe going to do? How is he going to get into university? So first thing was, the Rebbe wasn't going to waste any time. There was a call, there was a... Um, uh, a uh, rabbiner seminary. It was a rabbinical seminary that was headed by Rabbi Weinberg. Rabbi Weinberg was an acquaintance of the previous Rebbe, uh, and the Rebbe came to him and said, look, at least let me get a smicha. Let me get a smicha from here, and I can use the smicha later on to the university, so they'll enroll me. So Rabbi Weinberg said, you know, uh, you have to go through the. I'm the previous. 
says, I'm the previous Rebbe's son-in-law. I'm the Rebbe's son-in-law. No. He says, look, this is Germany here. Everything is fair and square. We're not going to make any, any exceptions over here. You've got to take the courses like everybody else. It's not fair to the other students if I give you a smicha. So the Rebbe said to him something very uncharacteristically of the Rebbe. Because the Rebbe was always hiding and modest and not showing off anybody who and what he is. And the Rebbe said, I'll make a deal with you. The Rebbe was 26 years old. And the Rebbe says, I promise to dazzle you, he says. So you'll give me smicha. So he says, yeah, what, what? He says to the Rebbe, he says to Rabbi Weinberg, he says, you take out any book. That you want. Give it to me overnight and I'll bring it back tomorrow morning with an evaluation, with notes, and you'll see. So Rabbi Weinberg has written a very intricate, detailed response of 57 pages and he says, Here, go ahead. Humor me. Take this book responses and I want to see a review. Of course, the next morning, the Rebbe not only refuted and showed all the weaknesses, and we actually have a record. The Rebbe's Rishimos. We have it copied today of the Rebbe's writing. The Rebbe takes apart, answers a lot of the questions with an on believable depth, knowledge, experience like one of the greatest of the giants of the Jewish people. Of course, the next day, he got the smicha. Anyways, um, the Rebbe, I just... Um, the Rebbe spent time in France, in, 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 in Berlin, and the Rebbe was trying at the same time to help his father-in-law. He became a partial secretary of his father-in-law. Difficult questions and problems, especially when Halacha Torah, the previous Rebbe, sent off to his son-in-law, to the Rebbe. Also, at that time, unfortunately, the previous Rebbe health has deteriorated. And the Rebbe needed to take off some time from his studies to actually be there with his father-in-law because uh, he needed the Rebbe's help. So, long, long story, but uh, eventually, as the uh, Nazi party came, started to wield their influence over there in Germany. Uh, the Rebbe realized that Germany is not the place. And the Rebbe eventually moved to France. And in France, the Rebbe continued his um, university education. The Rebbe was uh, just narrowly escaped. The Rebbe, that's a whole story in of itself because the uh, Rabbi Jacobson, as we said before, together with the lawyers in, in the United States, got special permission for the whole entire uh, Rebbe's family to come. They said they're not just rabbis, they are like 
aristocrats, they are like on a different category, and they allowed, gave them special visas. But the Rebbe on his own has applied for a visa. At that time, the visa needed, the government didn't want the regular visas. They didn't want people to become a burden to the government. So you had to show that you were able to sustain yourself. So the Rebbe brought a visa which said that he was an engineer, that he was a, and uh, he would be able to sustain himself. <clears throat> but that visa didn't work at the end because they had too many, they, there was a lot of Jew hatred there too. They did a lot of different tricks over there <clears throat> not to let the Jews in. But in any event, in the Rebbe's case, this was a conflict because on one hand, the visa said that the Rebbe is a, uh, part of the Rebbe's family, and then the Rebbe is a, as a scientist. The Rebbe is an engineer. So this is it was a conflict. Anyways, it was delayed, and eventually, amazing, that exactly ten years before on Yud Shvat, before the Rebbe accepted leadership, the Rebbe got his visa to the United States. It came through into France, but then the Rebbe had to make it. With the last boat, the boat went from Portugal. He had to get a visa into Lisbon. And they didn't give any visas there either, either because there was bottlenecked over there. Finally, he got it. But then there was no place on this last boat, the Vista Pinta, what it's called over there. Remember? Huh? Serva Pinta. Serva Pinta. And that was the last, the last, there was no seats available. <laughs> Amazing Hashgokha Pratis. So, it was a Bistritsky in the United in, in, in America went into the previous Rebbe. He says that his in-laws, they lived in Vienna, they couldn't get a ticket, they couldn't get a visa into Portugal, and they had already bought seats on the boat. And he says to the Rebbe, here you can take the seats, because they can't go because they couldn't make it in. And unfortunately, they were lost in the Holocaust, the other ones. But the Rebbe again came to this shore on the 28th of Sivan in uh, the year 1941, uh, the Rebbe came here. And then, of course, you know, all the uh, Rebbe's involvement and uh, in all the activities. Today, you, you see what the Rebbe's accomplishments is. And uh, I want to just start off with what I fin- finished with what I started off. You know, there is a uh, lot to say, uh, a lot to talk about various different aspects of the Rebbe's greatness in geniuses and uh, Rebbe's abilities. But the most important thing I think that we can see, that 25 years after the Rebbe is no longer physically with us, here we are together, and shluchim, thousands of people like us, literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, all over the world, everywhere on the globe. There is not a place in the globe where there isn't a get-together today on Yud Shvat, on the 10th of Shvat, to commemorate the Rebbe's living legacy. The Rebbe lives on. It's not commemorating 70 years that stopped 25 years ago. It continues to live and live and live until the Rebbe's fight for Mashiach will be, will come to fruition. And Mashiach will come at that time. All these, those who passed, will be resurrected, will be together physically, and listen and hear Torah from the Rebbe and all the tzaddikim, Moshe Rabbeinu, and Mashiach. And we hope that this happens from here Yomenu. There's a lot more to uh, have said here, but I think I'm out of time. Maybe we'll have a few minutes to show the video. Thank you for listening. 
And let's hope that we stay connected and we do what the Rebbe expects from us.